Blog Talk Radio. If it's smooth jazz, then the Jazz Queen and Mike Reynolds are talking about it on Talking Smooth Jazz, the smoothest show on internet radio. Your host, the Jazz Queen and Mike Reynolds. Hello and welcome to Talking Smooth Jazz. My name is Terry, a.k.a. the Jazz Queen. It is Sunday, October 25th, 2015. Um, come and join us. Hang out with us in the chat room. Go to TalkingSmoothJazz.com. Click on Jesse Cook's picture. That will bring you into the show page, and below that is the chat room. The phone number is 646-716-5485, 646-716-5485. So about a week or so ago, I received a CD in the mail from guitarist Jesse Cook. It's called One World. It's his new CD. And I fell in love with it. So I emailed his PR person, Rick Scott, and asked for an interview. And voila, he is here today. Welcome, Jesse. Hi, Terry. How are you? I am happy, happy to have you on. Um, This CD is so good, so good. And my favorite on it is Bombay um, Slam. I love that. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I like that one, too. It's kind of a, kind of a, Got like a Bootsy Collins kind of slamming the one bass line and a sort of almost a Parliament Funkadelic synth part, but then the rest of it's all kind of you know Arabic and you've got a Bollywood string section. It's really kind of a weird, crazy, crazy track. It really kind of came out how I imagined it, which you know I I realize is a bit strange, but that I guess that's me. It's just what I like. Well, it's a good combination, and it works. It works as yeah, well you. as all of the other tracks on um, One World. Um, now, this is an interesting CD in that um, you are using, well, I don't want to say non-traditional instruments, but instruments from different like countries uh, in this on this CD. Tell me about some of these mm-hmm. instruments, some of the names I can't even pronounce. Oh, well, I mean, I, that's always been something that I really found interesting is working with um, music from different cultures um, and and trying to find those points of intersection that exist between music of different cultures, you know, because so often there are shared roots, you know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a Canadian playing a flamenco guitar, and that guitar obviously comes from Spain, but then Spanish flamenco was created when the gypsies who were originally from northern India arrived in Spain, mm. you know, so there is a kind of connection already built into flamenco to India. So when I sort of take a Bombay string section, a modern Bombay string section, and throw it into a track with a rumba flamenco guitar, it, you know, I'm not sure they're meeting for the first time. I mean, it may, you know, it it, it kind of connects somehow through through time. And now you are a, your your preference is flamingo? Uh, flamenco is is certainly part of what I do. I mean, I have a weird background. I, I started as a, um, I think my first teacher actually was a flamenco teacher when I was a kid. And then uh, as I got better, they they sort of passed me on to the classical guitar teachers at the, the academy I went to. Um, and I studied that till I was about 13. But then I quit because it, I didn't really love the classical repertoire the way I had the flamenco tunes I was playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my teens, I studied jazz, and eventually I went to Berkeley. And, and so now I have, you know, a whole lot of, uh, you know, I have these sort of three musical traditions behind me in terms of my guitar playing. Um, mm-hmm. And 
you know what how I play now I'm not sure I I just make it up I try not to think about it too much um <laughs> so <laughs> and then and then again I you know I'm I, I I'm always trying to find a new hybrid trying to take my strange way of playing the guitar and throw it into a context I haven't heard before so on the mm. album Nomad I went to Cairo and I worked with musicians there on the Roomba Foundation I went down to Colombia and recorded with musicians there and I also worked with Cuban musicians um you know, and on this record, uh, there's all sorts of, you know, I'm experimenting with drum loops and synthesizers, but there's also, as you mentioned, you know, instruments from all over the world. We have the Armenian Daduk featured prominently on this record, which is one of the oldest instruments that's on the planet that is, um, you know, it's been around for 3,000 years and it's still being played today. It's kind of the great-grandfather of the saxophone, you know, it's... Uh, Although I I don't really get a Kenny G vibe from it, I will say that it's you know mm. it's just it's a beautiful kind of haunting ghost like thing, and you can hear somehow and when they hear it being played, there's something about it that feels like it it's timeless. Okay, I read a review. <clears throat> excuse me, I read a review. Uh, I believe it, it it was one of your concerts. And the uh, reviewer was saying that um, in addition to all of the other instruments on stage, that you brought out a skillet. A skillet? Play. Yeah. Uh, yes, I thought that that's was true. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's, uh, I think actually, um, just before we were talking, I think you were playing a track called Taxi Brazil. And um, yes. on Taxi Brazil, I wanted the sound of that old rattly taxi that you might find. You know, in some third world country, you know, where, the, you know, the car is from a, a totally other era and they somehow have kept it together, by, you know, you know, chicken wire and duct tape. And they somehow kept this thing moving down the road and it rattles as you go. And and um, so when I uh, when I was recording it, I called up the percussionist in my band, uh, Chandy Leon. He's a, a Cuban percussionist. And he showed up in the studio with all these, excuse me, with all these beautiful percussion instruments, congas and timbales and bongos and all those things. And I sort of said, yeah, Chetty, those are great, but, you know, for this track, I'm kind of thinking maybe um, let's go pots and pans, you know? So we end up in the <laughs> kitchen and we start pulling out the pots and pans and banging them and going, oh, this one sounds good. How about a bottle? You know, let's put some beer bottles in it, you know? And uh, and it was, uh, it, it sort of gave the track that kind of rattly feeling that I, that I was shooting for. Okay, now, I mentioned that my favorite is Bombay Slam, and um, I'm going to play that next. But tell me about the instruments being used on this one. Well, Bombay Slam, as I mentioned, it's, it's kind of a, you know, there's there's a, a whole lot of different, um, I guess it's kind of like, you know when you're making a soup and you just throw in all of your favorite ingredients, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what I did. I sort of said, okay, well, you know, I love a, a real sort of funky bass line. And, uh, you know, often when people are are doing, um, you know, the kind of music that I do, when you hear other people who are mixing r- rumba from like a guitar, um, you know, with Latin percussion or something, they put a Latin bass line on it. But in fact, I sort of thought, well, no, what I really like is, you know, I like Booty Collins. I like that really, you know, sort of James Brown slamming the one bass line. So I put that in there and then there's a kind of a, synth part that sounds like it's from the 70s, you know, from the kind of uh, Parliament Funkadelic era, you know, and and then um, uh, there's a sitar in there, and there's a, a Bollywood string section, you know, from those Bollywood movies that you see sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, if you stay up late at night, maybe they'll run them on some st- station in your area, 
Uh, and I, I, I just kind of loved it. I, I sort of thought, what happens if you put all this stuff together and, and uh, Bombay Slam sort of came out of it somehow. And you know, I, I love it. It's a, it's a kind of a strange track, but somehow I, I just, I find it really fun. I do too. I do too. I, I really enjoy um, this track. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and play that. And we are talking to where I am talking to guitarist Jesse Cook. His new CD is called One World, and if you have not um, picked this CD up, I highly, highly recommend that you do. This is Bombay Slam.
Oh, I love that song right there. That is Bombay Slam. I love that. I love no, what you. you did with that one. Yeah. Now, I read that I, you I, used... I, I'm sorry, go ahead. So, oh, sorry. I just thought you were asking what instruments were in there, and I was listening to it, and I realized I forgot to mention the Daduk, the Armenian Daduk, which, you know, I, I, I talked about it separately, but, yeah, that, that track, mm-hmm. if you can hear it prominently, it's right at the beginning. That's that sound, if you're wondering what that strange oh. instrument was. Yes, yes, okay. Wow, that's a great song. Um, um, I read that you use the looping pedal in your music. Um, well, there, there's. Uh, I use loops, um, but I realize, you know, there's two different. In the show, in my live show, I, I have a looping station, which I've set mm-hmm. up so that I can play songs, um, you know, by myself and add all the parts. Kind of you treat the guitar like a percussion instrument and loop parts and play over them, all that. Uh, but on the record, um, I wasn't using as a looping pedal as much as I was using, uh, sorry, using loops, um, which I know it's the same word, so it's hard to really describe the difference. But nowadays, there's all sorts of huge uh, loop libraries and you know loops that people have made from all over the world, and you can use them and. Yeah, I kind of play with them, and it's, it's almost become a kind of an art form on its own. Is uh, yes. that those things you can do with looping by slowing them down, speeding them up, changing the pitch, slicing them into little pieces, and moving the pieces around. There's just all sorts of things you can do that really uh, ends up, you know, being kind of interesting sonically, and uh, and and actually quite different from actually having a person come in and play that part. Um, yes, you know, in the in. In the past, I, you know, I've used a little bit of uh, synthesizers and sampling technology, and I, I might have even occasionally used a loop. But on this record, I really kind of went to town with it and and used a lot of loops, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was it kind of opened up a, a whole lot of possibilities to me that, you know, I may not have arrived at, um, you know, if I was just sort of left to do it with my friends, you know, the people that I had around me and the, the musicians that I already knew. So. Um, it was fun. It was, and it was like it was my son's fault. Uh, I had a, my, son, my, my son was uh, seven when I started working on this record. He's now ten, so he hates when I tell this story. But um, you know, when when he was seven, uh, he was sort of hanging out with me in the studio. And of course, like all kids, he wanted to get on the computer. And the, the computer in the studio—it's the big central computer that everything plugs into and is connected through. And it's got a giant monitor, you know, right over the mixing console. And and so, you know, there was no way I was going to let him play with that, right? Because I thought, oh, God, what if he breaks it? But kids are, <laughs> are very persistent, you know, and he kept bugging mm-hmm. me and saying, please, let me try. I want to play. And finally, I, I uh, you know, I caved in and let him get on the thing. And I, But I couldn't watch. I just thought, oh, God, I, you know, i got to leave. Oh, I, no. I can't, I, can't, <laughs> I can't witness this. So I went in the next room to practice the guitar, and when I came back, he had all sorts of pages open that, you know, I'd never even seen before. Like the program I use is really, you know, the programs, the music programs are quite complicated nowadays. And I thought I kind of knew everything about it, but he'd opened some page I'd never seen and he was using it in a way I hadn't seen before. And I was like, how did you, how did you get there? And, oh, I just pressed this button and this popped down and, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I did what most good fathers would do. I, I said, get out of there. Let me try. You know, get out of my way. You know, that kind of thing. So I uh, I started playing with the loops and, and just having a great time. And it was really, it just, you know, sort of got, opened the door to a whole new room of fun for me. And uh, I, 
once I got into that room, I didn't want to leave. I ended up making a whole record out of it, so it was it was quite fun. The first time I saw the looping pedal used, I was at the Jim Brickman concert, and his guitarist mm. used it, and he had a, a solo um, spot that he was doing. And he started using them, but we didn't know what he was doing um, at first. And he he would play, he would play something, and then he would stop. Then he would play something else, and then what he played before would start playing. And we were like, I mean, the whole audience you can sit, you can sit, feel the audience going, "What is he doing? What what's happening?" Um, and then we realized, you know, it, it was really nice. I love the way that 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 whole his whole solo show right there was put together by the looping pedal. It was really nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it is fun. And, it, you know, it's one of those things where uh, when I first started playing with it, I sort of thought, I could do a whole show like this. I could just be me yeah. all night long. Because yes. it, it really is fun. And you can improvise. Like there was a period when I first um, started doing looping, I would, every day I'd come up and make a new song. You know, you can make songs up instantly where you just kind of lay down something and re- react to it. And it's, it's a really fun way to um, to sort of practice and to come up with new creative ideas um, because it's so immediate. You know, you want to you don't have to set up microphones and all that. So mm-hmm. you just you know you're already plugged in. The thing's ready to go. You just hit record and off well, you're off and running. Um, uh, and the, and it also if it's a, if you're not interested, like if you go down a road that's not that interesting, you just erase and start again. Boom! You're you're immediately writing something new. Um, and the, you know there's something kind of fun about that. As a you know when we're talking about the kind of the live loop or pedal type thing, and my setup my setup's a little bit more. I think usually the pedals will loop one part. You play one part, and then they'll loop them. Occasionally they'll do a. You can do maybe two parts, uh, or just kind of loop on top of infinitely loop on top of one thing. But you can't really mm-hmm. move parts in and out. Whereas I've, I've now got it set up inside my computer, so I can change patches and switch. You know, change sounds even for my guitar as I'm going through the loops and create different kind of sonic textures and. You know, some some patches are really meant just to design, just to hear the body of the guitar, and I can tune it so that the, the guitar sounds more like a drum than it normally would. You know, and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it, it it can be really fun. You can really get lost in one of those things. Oh yeah, it was really fun. I enjoyed it. And now it seems like whenever I see a video of that, it's it's always a guitarist playing it. Although, is it just for the guitar, or or can any other instrument? Uh, the, the oh, I think it, anything can can plug into it. Any, okay. uh, I think it, it's most uh, initially when they were created, they created them for guitarists, which is why guitarists mm-hmm. came to them first. But there are lots of people doing amazing things with them now. In fact, there's, uh, I think Roland. I, I, I don't know why I'm doing this, doing doing an ad for a, a giant <laughs> music company, but I think Roland has come out with this thing that is set up for vocalists, so vocalists can do beatbox they just hold the microphone and they can control it with their hand they can do beatbox and then it'll pitch shift their voice down if they want to have a like a really big deep bass part and they can do anything with it and it's, it's quite an amazing thing you know and with a guitar you're you're always limited to the fact that you're just playing a guitar with your voice yeah you know people can mimic so many instruments right i mean you know imagine one of those things in the hands of Bobby McFerrin or something, you know, you can imagine mm. you could do the whole orchestra. You could be like, you know, Jimi Hendrix soloing on top and, you know, plus the boom, 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 and all that stuff he does, right? It'd be great. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Uh, well, let me introduce you to my co-host, Mike Reynolds. Mike, meet Jesse Cook. Hey, hi, Jesse. How's everything going? Good. How are you, Mike? Doing great. Doing great. Okay, so um, Jesse, I'm going to play Shake next. Tell me about this one. Oh, Shake is. Uh, what can I say about this one? It's uh, this is, I guess, what the record company considered the single on the on on the record. And it's funny because, you know, I don't know if if you can really sort of describe the songs I do as having a hit, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but this was the designated hit. Uh, and it's just, you know, it's fun. It's just a fun, groovy kind of. Uh, song um yeah i don't i don't know what to say about this one there's a i think there's a bit of a pots and pans on this one too <laughs> pots and pans okay all I right can't get out this, of the is kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> this is shake
I love the strings on that. Love that. Yes. Mm, that was Shake. That was Shake from hey. Jesse Cook's new CD, One World. Mm, very nice. I like that one. So um, I'm going to read a review here from Ronald Jackson from the smoothjazzride.com. In part, he says, the album is an absolute cornucopia of aural pleasantries and melody. One World takes you wherever your curious and exotic dreams wish you to go. If you are new to Cook's music, let this project introduce you to the man who continues to conjure up musical magic album after album. And again, you can read that full review on the smoothjazzride.com. Great review there. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. Wow, that's really nice. Who's yeah. that person? Uh, I should send them champagne or something. That's <laughs> oh, you, have a, oh, you know what? I will post a review on your Facebook page. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. I'll post Thank that you. That's nice. Yeah, he does really good reviews, and I like to read his reviews on air. Um, so, yeah, really good. Now, Jesse, if you had had a choice, which song would you have picked to be your first single? You know what? I, I think that was a good choice. I think Shake was okay. probably the one that I, I know. It's funny when you're working on a record, um, you you don't know when you first start writing the songs. And remember, you know, I I I, I just uh, I, I love doing it all, and so I end up, you know, r- writing the music and then producing it and recording most of the parts myself and mixing it. And the only thing I don't do is I I let somebody else master it because I you know I know mm-hmm. when there are better people out there to do the job than me. I'll sort of finally go okay. <laughs> you can you can master it because I don't want to mess that up. But I, the rest of it I'm doing. So I hear the songs a lot, you know. Over the it takes, you know, I worked on this record for I don't know a year and a half, two years, something like that, mm-hmm. and uh, off and on. And and so, you know, when you work on something that long, it's often you start to lose perspective a little bit. But there are certain tracks um, that you know every time they come back, you know, when you're maybe you're mixing and you haven't heard it for a month or two, and you put the track back on the speakers, you go, oh wow, this. This is the single. You know, you just know it when you hear it. Like, that's the one that it just sort of jumps out of the speakers at you or it's got a hook that you can't get out of your head or whatever. There's something about it that just says, this is more for radio, you know. Um, Whereas other songs like To Your Shore or uh, Beneath Your Skin, things like that, while I love them, you know, while I I sort of feel proud of them, I realize, you know, it's not the kind of thing that is going to ever sort of be a a hit or, or, you know, people may love it or People may come up to me after the show and go, "That's my favorite." You know, they'll whisper it to me. My favorite is blah blah blah, but it's not—it's not the one that you know is going to be a designated hit somehow. Mm. Again, I use the word "hit" in large quotation marks. <laughs> now, <laughs> you know, now, when you're you doing these songs, do, do you do you have a? Um, are 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 you aiming for TV or are you aiming for you know uh, being on the radio when you go into the studio with these songs in mind or? It just happens to come out that way where one may make a TV show or one may make, uh, you know, uh, the radio. No, honestly, I, I don't. I, I can't um, I can't write music for other people. I, I At the end of the day, I sort of, I try to make music um, that, that makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. You know, that's really mm-hmm. all I'm shooting for is to try and make mm-hmm. something that I think sounds great, that I would want to listen to. Uh, and, and I think that's the only barometer that I trust. Um, you know, I know some people are good at sort of saying, oh, this this will do well here, or, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this song, and it'll become a, you know, it'll become a hit, or it'll become a whatever, and I, I don't know how to do that. I, um, you know, I just kind of make music that I like, and I try to keep changing how I do it. You know, I, I think um, when I first made Tempest, um, 
you know, within a year, we came out with Gravity. You know, as soon as Tempest came out, it was doing really well. The record label called me up and said, we want you to make another CD. So I made Gravity, you know, and it was finished within a year, and it was released almost a year to the date that Tempest came out. And um, and after that, I sort of felt like well, I kind of said most of what I want to say using that kind of what I had done in those records, you know, very kind of rumba flamenca with a few Latin percussion elements and things. Um and after that, I just I wanted to change. And every record since then, I've tried to do something different, take my weird style of guitar playing to a different part of the world or a different musical culture or a different sensibility um, and, and try to find the, the beauty there. You know, and, and um, that's, you know, so it's it's not always going to be something that is going to work on radio. And, I, and um, you know, it's, over the years, I've been very blessed in that smooth jazz as a format has supported what I'm doing, even though I, I realize it, you know, it probably wasn't really exactly smooth jazz. I mean, it's not, it's not really jazz what I do, and it's not always particularly smooth. So I, you know, I'm very happy that they kind of, you know, would, would actually play a lot of my stuff. Um, but I, I sort of think that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a harder sell because what I'm doing is, is always changing. It's a moving target. Mm. Now, um, I read that you don't release singles that can be downloaded on MP3 uh, MP3 players. Is that still the case, or is that true? I I, I don't know what you mean. Um, I, I think my music's available on iTunes and all of that stuff. Okay. Is that what you mean? Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, when I read that, I thought, oh, well, that's quite unusual to not release, you know, music to be uh, that can't be downloaded as a single, as opposed to um, downloading the entire uh, album. Album? No, I no, I I I think you can. I I think if you went okay. to iTunes or any of those things, you'd be able to just get whichever song you wanted. Okay. Um, I I will say, uh, you know, I, when I write these albums, I write them w- with the intention of them being heard in the context of an album. Because you know, mm-hmm. call me old-fashioned, but I love an album. I think that's, you know, I, I like to put on an album and live in it for the 45 minutes or the hour or whatever it is. I like to just immerse myself in a record. And, and those are the kind of albums I like to make, the kind that you can kind of put them on and they take you on a journey. And it's not just a single song journey, but it's a, you know, it's a journey that you can really go far with. Right, right. Yeah, you have to hear the whole, you have to have the whole story. Yes. Yes, I understand that. Okay. Now, Mike mentioned television, and um, I was reading up about your PBS shows, um, and it's an interesting story about how you know your your PBS shows got started. Would you share that? Um, yeah, well, I'm not sure which story you're referring to, but I, um, you know, over the years we've done a number of different PBS um, shows. Uh, we we did one at the Montreal Jazz Festival, um, but you know, none of them really sort of got embraced by PBS until I think the last two that we did. We did one at the, the Rose Theater. Uh, close to Toronto, and um, and then we did one. The most recent one we did is called Live at the Baptist Street Theater, and mm-hmm. that was a, a theater that's around the corner from my house, and I didn't even know it existed. I mean, I you know, <laughs> I don't know if that tells you something about me <laughs> and how aware I am of my environment. But um, a, yeah, a friend called up. We were, we were trying to find a theater that we could. Um, not just rent it for the night of the concert, but actually rent it for maybe a couple of weeks so we could move into it and set up the cameras and, you know, set up the space and light it properly, really sort of get the most out of it. 
And a friend of mine called me up and he said, oh, you should look at, you know, there's a mini Massey Hall. Massey Hall is sort of the Carnegie Hall of Toronto where I live. And he said, there's a mini Massey Hall sort of really close to you. And I said, no, there's not. And he said, yes, there is. And I said, look, I, I know my area. I walk everywhere. I know it like the back of my head. You're wrong, you know. And uh, he said, oh, look again. Check this out. And he sent some photos. And sure enough, it looked like a, a sort of miniature version of the Ma- of Massey Hall. And um, and it was beautiful, but it was it was uh, I guess it was it was in a church, so I didn't you didn't even realize on the outside mm-hmm. that on the inside it had been converted. I'm not sure even when into a theater, and it, it was just you know this sort of beautiful space. And we went in, and it it had all these props in the wings. I mean, it was like a theater that time forgot. Uh, it was it was really gorgeous, and you know I I think at that point it had been it's been used as a a school for the arts, you know, people who are doing tap and, you know, theater arts and things use it, use the stage for their performances within the school, but they hadn't been really doing concerts and full stage scale productions in there. And uh, they rented it to us and we went in and, and shot the, the whole thing. It was a lot of fun. It was it was nice to, uh, to sort of be in somewhere that, you know, just had that kind of history, but somehow it, you know, it was like a theater that time forgot. And this is a show that you shot yourself as a result of another show that you did that was shot by, um, I guess, the promoters or somebody else, and you weren't very happy with that um, oh, yeah. DVD. No, I think yeah, it's there was um, uh, over the years we we had a, we did a few DVDs at the Montreal Jazz Festival, mm-hmm. and the Montreal Jazz Festival, if you, if you haven't been, it's an amazing jazz festival. It's huge. They, the list of performers reads like a telephone book. I mean, it's, you know, they have something like six or seven hundred different shows. It's a, just a ridiculously large uh, jazz festival. They close the whole of the downtown core to traffic, and they just have stages set up everywhere, and they have lots of free shows and theater shows. And so it's, it's a real, there's a huge sort of infrastructure now for that festival because it's been going on for decades. And one of the things they do is they'll shoot a DVD for you but they do it on the night. They'll have like a, uh, you know, a, a video truck set up outside the theater, and an audio truck parked beside it. And you know, in the audio truck, they're mixing your show, the audio from your show to, for the video. And in the video truck, they're calling it like a like a basketball game. You know, where there there's a guy with a switcher, and there's whatever nine cameras in there, and they're saying, okay, you know, camera three, close up on the drummer. You know, that kind of thing. And and at the end of the night, they hand you the DVD and say, there you go, you're done. Uh, which is great. I mean, if you're starting out, it's an amazing way to get a DVD really quickly. But what what we found, though, is that it, in order to have that kind of speed, they need to light it like a television set. They need every mm-hmm. part of that stage covered with light so that nothing gets lost. And, and it ends up feeling less like a concert and more like something generic. So um, the last two shows that we've done, which actually did really well, and actually PBS played for us, which was kind of, you know, the big change, was when I said, you know what, I don't want to do it this way anymore. I want to, I've been making videos myself uh, for music, just with using my little camera, I have a little DSLR. And I, I said, you know, what happens if we don't shoot it with all these broadcast cameras and we just get little DSLRs and we go in, with a bunch of, you know, young people, like film students or whatever. And so I got in touch with this very talented young director and he called all up he called up all his friends and they just 
kind of moved in, took over this theater, and they all had little tiny cameras, and they shot it in HD. And and the funny thing about those little cameras is that they actually have better lenses than the broadcast cameras because they're meant mm-hmm. for photography, you know, and they, mm-hmm. they can get what they call a beautiful shallow depth of field, you know, which is more like looks more like film, you know, when you're when you're watching mm-hmm. a movie. And uh, and also because we knew we we're gonna we'd be able to reshoot anything if we wanted to. And we had more time to kind of look at it. We were able to light the concert like a concert where there's areas of darkness and mood and atmosphere on stage and other areas where the light kind of cuts through that darkness and lights up, you know, the violinist or something. And so it just had that drama that was kind of missing from the, the more generic ones we got. And at the end of the day, I was really, I was really proud of it, what we were able to do. And, you know, I mixed uh, the audio from the shows. I mixed myself at, at my studio at home and, and uh, so it felt sort of closer to home. It felt more like, you know, that's how I wanted it to sound. You know, I sort of felt like at the end of the day, it more represented the kind of experience I was hoping to create. Wow, that's awesome. Then as a, as a result, PBS airs, aired your show. So that's pretty good. How did you get that to them, um, uh, those, those oh. uh <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole art form on its own is is uh, courting PBS and I'm sure you could do a whole show on it at some point we you know you you have to get a PBS consultant and they have all these conferences it's funny it's you know I come from Canada where the equivalent of PBS would be CBC which is our national broadcaster mm-hmm. and at first I made the mistake of thinking that they were very similar kinds of entities you know that oh PBS is like the American CBC and, I, and then I realized after a while not at all like PBS every station is autonomous and every station can choose whatever programming they want and do choose you know they, they show very different programming from the next state over uh, and whereas you know in Canada it's national programming you know they whatever the national offices were at five o'clock, we're going to run this show and right across the country at five o'clock, boom, that show runs. Uh, whereas PBS, you know, you, you go to these conventions and you, you know, you'll do a presentation and then you're meeting people and you, your, your consultants phoning them and trying to say, Hey, you should really check this out. And, uh, it's, it's a real process. I mean, you really, um, it amazed me how complicated it was. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's great because if you're making music like mine, which is a little off the beaten path, I'm never going to really sort of get blanket coverage. I mean, it's it's always going to be a station that says, you know, this is different music and it doesn't really fit our format, but we're going to play it anyway. And, you know, that's what PBS did. It's it's what Smooth Jazz did for me, which, I you know, I'm very thankful for. Um, but it's, it's always that personal thing where you actually have to go and, you know, sort of meet those people and have somebody on that on their side champion that cause and say, you know what, we're going to play this. And uh, luckily it's so far so good. Wow, well, congratulations on that. That's awesome. Okay, um, the next song is When Night Falls. Tell me about this one. Oh, my goodness. I'm trying to remember When Night Falls. You <laughs> see, I should explain the titles of these songs are the last part that comes. I write the mm-hmm. songs. And I engineer them and all that stuff I talked about, you know. And they all have a working title, which is the part, I, the thing I usually remember is the working title. Because, you know, the first kernel of an idea that you come up with from one of these songs, you name it something because you're saving it on your phone or, you know, on your computer or whatever. And so the title will be really usually 
um, bad. <laughs> It'll be something like, you know, E minor, sad, or, you know, uh, you know, C major seven hook or something, you know, whatever. It's something that tells me what song it was. And that'll be the title that'll go right to the end. And then, you know, just before the record goes to print, the record company's on the phone saying, listen, you've got to come up with titles to these songs. You know, we've got to print the labels for it. And I'll I'll put the CD, which is by that point usually finished. Like, it's right around the mastering, mastering phase. I've got a, you know, printed CD. I put it in my car, and I drive around late at night with a pad beside me and come up with titles. And And then... You know, usually the titles are way better than the working titles, but then I don't remember them. <laughs> so moments like now where you say, you know, when night falls, I'm kind of going, um, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'll, when you play the song, I'll remember it, but I'll call it, you know, Blue 305, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, oh, so I'm sorry. Can we talk about That's the song okay. after you've played it? Sure. Uh, <laughs> All right. This is When Night Falls. <laughs> Thank you.
That is so beautiful. When Night Falls. So did you go, oh, yeah, that song. <laughs> instantly, instantly. Okay, so here's the story on that one. Uh, I actually, I'm embarrassed to say, I've never said this to anybody, but I I kind of, um, I, I took a little bit from an Alicia Keys song, you know, that song Falling that she does? Oh, and yeah. If you, there's kind of, there was something really nice yeah. about that song. It sort of has a kind of an old, it's like an old R&B song a little bit, mm-hmm. but with a drum machine under it, you know what I mean? So it feels more modern, but there's still something that feels quite classic about her song, and I, mm-hmm. I love that mood, and I sort of thought, what well, you know, if I was going to do that, could I put my guitar in that context, and what would it sound like? And, you know, I experimented and came up with this song, so oh, there it beautiful. is. Beautiful. Yeah, and, okay. that's, and that's the song that I got from it, too. I'm like, that, that sounds like falling to me, but uh, the uh, Alicia Key song, yes, but that was mm-hmm. great. I like that. Yes. Yeah, really nice. Yeah. So, Jesse, you are performing tonight in um, Ohio, and uh, before the before we came on, I was reading an article, a post on Facebook about the demise of the smooth jazz stations, and I was asking you, um, when you travel to these cities that do not have a station that can promote your shows, how do you promote your shows in those cities? It's it's definitely harder. I mean, since smooth jazz has uh, you know been slowly disappearing, um, it's it's made it much more difficult. You know, as it was, you know, when you're an instrumental artist, you're doing music that doesn't fit into pop, you know, or mm-hmm. or classic rock or one of these sort of standard formats. Um, you, you know, it's hard. It's hard to find a way for people to actually be even able to find out about your music, to even know it exists and you know, when Smooth Jazz was there and was supporting what I was doing, it was it was great. It was a you know a, a terrific sort of way of letting the world know, okay, this is what I'm doing. Uh, you know, because I can do this music by myself, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's not the same. You know, we can do the concert, yeah. but if nobody's actually there, uh, it won't feel much like a concert. It'll feel like rehearsing. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, we certainly you know it's it, it was great to be able to get the word out that way uh, in the wake of uh, smooth jazz in a lot of cities, you know, we've had to rely on more social media. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the internet has, is great in some ways. Um, it's, uh, it's a different thing though. I mean, the internet, I, I think you can have a lot of people following what you do, but that doesn't mean you can show up in that town and, and do a concert. I mean, we, for example, on Facebook, if you look Thank at the you. sort of the analytics of our, you know, who's following us on Facebook, you'll see that, in fact, you know, a huge number of the cities are places we've never been to, we've never given concerts in, you know. Mm. Uh, of our top ten, I think five of them are cities like Cairo and Damascus and, uh, you know, countries like Saudi Arabia and places like that. We've never we've never done concerts. So I'd love to go there, but I'm not sure if there's actually a critical mass of people there to see us, you know, and, well, certainly in, in Syria right now. I mean, you couldn't do a concert, obviously, it would be absurd. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, it, it, but it's a funny thing, you know. Whereas uh, I think with, when Smooth Jazz was there, you know, you'd get on the radio and people would talk up your show, and and it was easier to sort of form a crowd. Um, luckily, in our case, you know, PBS, as you mentioned, has been helping, you know. But that's again, that's very sort of hit and miss, depending on whether that that station decides to play your show. Um, so uh, the other thing we really rely on is word of mouth. A lot of time, people come because. Their, their their friends bring them, you know, or they you know, or they tell their friends or they share a link or whatever. So that that's very been very helpful. But 
you know, we do what we can somehow. Yeah. Uh, we're, we we somehow manage to tour the world, which is really great, um, even though I'm doing music that is a little bit um, different, a little bit strange, you know, it doesn't fit into any one format. Well, you have a very busy schedule, so you must be doing something right in the promoting of the shows. Um, somebody is doing something right because your schedule is really, really busy. So, and I really appreciate you giving us this opportunity to talk to you today um, ahead of a, a concert that you have tonight, so thank you for that. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on your show. It's been a real pleasure. Sure. Well, let everyone know where they can find the music and you on the web. Uh, well, at Facebook, it's uh, just Jesse Cook, or I think it's Facebook slash Jesse Cook HQ, but I'm sure if you Google it, you'll find it. Um, uh, and also my website, jessiecook.com, or, or as I like to call it, me.com. Me. <laughs> <It can find. laughs> we have our tour schedule on there, and people can check us out. We're, we're touring in the U.S. for another four or five days. After that, we're back in Canada till Christmas, and then next spring, We'll be here for months, so we hopefully we'll be coming to a city near you. Okay, well, wonderful. Thank you again, Jesse. I really appreciate you giving us the opportunity. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. All right, you have a great show tonight. Thank you. All right. That was guitarist Jesse Cook. His new CD is called One World. Definitely pick this one up. I think you're going to like this one a lot, I like a that. lot. Yes, I like it a lot. All right, Mike, anything to add before we say goodbye? Uh, nothing much to add. Just, uh, you know, I love music. Like I said, that, that uh, rendition of, uh, you know, that last song, like, sound like uh, Alicia Keys. I love that. That With was Nightfall. But I'm sitting there yeah. listening to it. Yeah, Nightfall. I'm sitting there listening to it like that. This sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and say, but uh, that was great the way he did that. I love that. Like I said, great music, yeah. uh, great artist. So definitely, you know, support uh, Jesse and uh, his ventures and wherever he is at. On tour, like you said, I, I totally agree with him about the um, when you're touring to a town that, you know, um, you've never been before and, and people thinking that you have 10,000 Facebook fans, people are just going to show up. You know, like I so said, you never know if you have 10,000 Facebook fans, you may have five in a certain area. So it makes it difficult mm-hmm. to promote shows and places that these artists have never been in. But we definitely need to get out and support these artists no matter where they're at. So, yeah. Exactly. Definitely. Exactly. And speaking of promoting artists, uh, we want to promote our shows, Talking Smooth Jazz Entertainment Presents. Uh, we have a show coming up on November 6th and, uh, at the Tavern at Fire Station 1 in uh, Silver Springs, Silver Maryland, Springs. with Tony Exum Jr. Um, man. Yeah, so he's going to be there uh, performing. So you definitely want to check him out. Again, that is yes. Friday, November 6th. You can buy and tickets at Okay, cool, cool. That's going to be yeah. a good show. Um, mm-hmm. You can purchase tickets at TonyExumJr.eventbrite.com. You can also find the link as well to all of these shows on our website, TalkingSmoothJazz.com. We also have coming up Nicholas Cole and then Roundtree, and that is on November 20, uh, 14th. I'm sorry, November 14th. That's the Saturday. And then Andre Delano will also be um, at the ta- uh, the fire station on November 21st. So, again, you can find the links to all of the tickets at TalkingSmoothJazz.com. All right. Jesse, thank you again. I appreciate it. I'm going to close the show with another song from One World. Um, you've been listening to Talking Smooth Jazz with your host, the Jazz Queen. And Mike Reynolds. And we look forward to Talking Smooth Jazz with you again next time. This is To Your Shore. Have a great day.